family matters. Let's say that at the outset of this journey we are taking for this month. Families are immensely important. At their best, families provide the stable and secure environment for raising up children. We know this is one of the family's most important jobs. We are all products of it in some way, and many of us are trying to figure out how to provide that environment for our own children. At their best, families provide a space and place for unconditional love. When healthy, families are that place we can return to, even when we've messed up. We know, however, that families aren't always at their best. After all, these units of kinship that we all belong to are made up of people. And families are the most intimate relationships we share. Our hearts are given to our families. And as such, families can also break our hearts and cause us deep places of pain and wounds. During these four weeks, we're going to hold these two realities together. The family matters. And so we're going to talk about God's vision for the family and family matters. What to do when pain and sorrow and brokenness are part and parcel of some of our family relationships. It seems like a given today to say that there is an immense pressure on the nuclear family. By nuclear, I mean the closest family unit of parent and children. In the last 30 years, especially our kids are supposed to specialize by the age of six, like they're choosing a college major. In our, in our county alone, my children could go to dozens of public elementary schools, all with different options. Meanwhile, most families are dual-parent working households who are also supposed to be Pinterest-worthy designers, fully present spouses, and somehow have time to exercise and have self-care. But I'm not talking about that kind of family pressure today. That pressure is the general pressure that exists within our society. We could discuss for another entire series the crazy expectations of our culture upon us as individuals and families, but that's not where we are going to focus right now. I would like to focus on the pressure that is created by the veneration of the nuclear family. What we consider in our culture to be the norm of family, two parents and 1.9 children, possibly with a dog, is less than a 200-year-old concept. For most of humanity's existence, the family unit was not only an emotional support system, but it was also the center for economic activity. In the mid-1800s, this began to shift as the man of the house began working outside the home and what scholars call the bourgeois family came into being. I don't say bourgeois much, but there it is. Rodney Clapp, who wrote an excellent book called Families at the Crossroads, speaks of the shift to the bourgeois family and the pressure it experiences in this way. He says, stripped of economic and political functions, the bourgeois family concentrates on the only thing left to it, affection. Spouses and children are supposed to adore the company of family. And as already noted, our expectations of family warmth are often stretched to the point of being utopian. We can rather easily sentimentalize family and imagine it to be something far rosier than anything we actually experience, end quote. We feel this tension, right? Like we are supposed to be Instagram-perfect families who love each other at all times. But we all know that behind closed doors, there are tension points all of the time. There are hard seasons with young children, like waking up at 3.30 in the morning when you have to preach the next day. There are difficult seasons with a spouse. There are the entirety of teenage years. There is the growing up and learning to differentiate with adult children There are aging parents and the realities of making difficult decisions. 
but we aren't supposed to talk about these things. We try to project an image of being the perfect family. Unfortunately, church culture has been the worst culprit of this. We often don't bear our real problems and try to show a picture of ourselves and our families that is unrealistic and impossible expectations to live up to. If the nuclear family could take the kind of pressure it is placed under, would we have so many sitcoms based upon the family and its trials? Whether it's family ties, home improvement, family matters, all in the family, modern family, we clearly have a need to see that we are not alone and that we can laugh at the trials of living in a specific time under a roof with these people. If the family wasn't under this immense pressure, shows like Mari would never exist and neither would every courtroom drama. I guess there are like 10 different versions of Judge Judy today. There's, I think there's an entire station just developed just devoted to those shows, God help us. The idea of the nuclear family also gets presented in our culture as the biblical model for family. This is quite a misrepresentation of the Bible. For nowhere in the Old Testament patriarchal culture would a nuclear family have been envisioned. Families were big and expansive. Many of the fathers of the faith had multiple wives, and even though in Jewish culture by the time of Jesus, polygamy had been ruled out, we nowhere see the idea that the nuclear family unit should be the locus of society. In some folks' vision for the Christian family, the nuclear family is the central unit for society and for Christians. At face value, this might seem okay, but when it is held up to Scripture and to the teaching of Jesus, the position of the nuclear family as the first priority gets challenged. Hear this encounter that Jesus has in Matthew 12, verse 46. It says, while Jesus was speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers stood outside trying to speak with him. Someone said to him, look, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak with you. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Whoa. Hold up, Jesus. What did you say to your mama? Consider this. What Jesus said here was no less offensive or radical when he said it than it is today. Even if the nuclear family wasn't the locus of society that it is today, in Jesus' culture, family was one's entire identity. People had to get married. There was no word for bachelor in Hebrew. And to be blessed, according to the Psalms and the rabbinic tradition, was to have a quiver full of children. Jesus had none of those things. According to his tradition, Jesus was not blessed at all. In this scene, Jesus' biological family is standing on the outside. Their location is not just physical. It tells us something about their discipleship. Mary comes to Jesus in this scene as his mother. And he calls her to something that he sees as even more fundamental. He calls Mary to discipleship. Mary clearly eventually comes to understand herself primarily as a follower of Jesus and not his mother. So from the cross, Jesus can say to her and to the beloved disciple, Woman, here is your son, and, and here is your mother. Jesus is reorienting family relationships. 
In this scene, Jesus does not stop Mary and his brothers from following him, from coming inside the room, from being in the family. But rather, he makes a new declaration that his primary family is not about genetic makeup, but about those who share his obedient spirit. Rodney Clapp says it this way, reflecting on Jesus in this scene. Jesus' ethic is a social ethic, a way of life not for isolated individuals, but for individuals in community. In fact, it is a way of life for new individuals in a new family. End quote. Friends, our church's mission is that we are working together to connect isolated people with God's family. Do you hear the connection? God's family is our new family. We were isolated even within our own families. And through Jesus, we have a new way of life. It is possible for nuclear families to live extremely isolated lives, to feel like their home is a pressure cooker with no release valve, We recently got an Instant Pot. We're a few years late to the party. And the concept of the pressure cooker, right, is that it cooks food faster than an oven because of the built-up air pressure. But without a release for the steam, the pressure can be too much. That's the old pressure cooker units where the top would fly off and hit the ceiling. If our families feel the immense pressure of having to be perfect and having to be everything for us, they will no doubt cave from the pressure. Marriages may turn sour and someone may seek release through cheating or through pornography. Stress gets high and substances get turned to more and more as an outlet. Finances are tight and we find ourselves fighting more and more. And we feel guilty the entire time because our family is supposed to look picture perfect. So what is Jesus saying here? God's family is the first family. Jesus does not come in order to destroy the family, far from it. But he does call us to allegiance to his way first. And what this does is places the family in its proper perspective. Rodney Clapp writes, We simply need a world bigger, richer, tougher than that which can be created by a little family fixated on itself and its emotional coddling. End quote. How does this happen? How can we live this way in a world where the nuclear family is so central? Well, we need the family to find a purpose and mission. And it finds this through the gift that Jesus has given us in the church. Now, you might be saying, of course, that's what the pastor says, that the church is more important than the family. Hear me out for a second. At our best, the church provides a mission for all families to participate in. Rather than families being havens that we return to in order to recharge and go out into the big bad world, what if the family is an adventurous mission base? What if our homes and family lives are to be centers of hospitality that exist to serve God and the world through the church? When the family finds this purpose, it not only relieves the pressure that it feels from society, but it gives a wonderful picture of God's kingdom at its best. At my last church, there was a community Thanksgiving meal every Thanksgiving. My favorite part about hearing the stories of this meal were not the 400 or so folks that were served a Thanksgiving meal. It was that for many families in the church, this was their Thanksgiving tradition. In fact, a family I knew well led the Thanksgiving meal effort, and instead of turning their gaze inward on Thanksgiving, they had all four children there bright and early helping to serve others. In my wife's family, she reflects often on the fact that at every holiday, there was always someone different at the table, someone who needed a place to call home, who felt isolated, or who truly was isolated for a season. 
This is a picture of the home as a mission base. If the church merely echoes the position of society that the nuclear family is the main unit for living, what do we have to say then to single people? What position to for divorcees and widows and widowers in our life together? The answer should be that in the church, single people are a wonderful gift and model. While parents are serving Jesus through their children, single people can live out service and mission daily. They can direct their energy into serving other vulnerable people. Singles are a reminder that our legacy is not left just through children who bear our name. Rather, all of our legacies are guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is not that we live forever by an heir bearing our name like it was in patriarchal culture. Our hope, single and married alike, is that through Jesus we live in God's presence forever. The church needs single people and families living and working and playing side by side. We need one another's help. We need to be in community with people whose daily lives are much different than our own. This is what God's family looks like. No one is left out. No one is abandoned. The reading from the end of Acts 2 reminds us of how familial the first church was. I'm sure the picture it gives leaves out the ugly parts, but we read about those enough in Paul's letters that follow this time. But I encourage you to listen to this ideal once again. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added to their community those who were being saved. This does not sound like the family being destroyed. No, it sounds like the family of the church finding that only Jesus can be all in all. That when placed in its proper position, family can find even more life and vitality. Family should have a mission. The mission is nothing less than to be a mission base of hospitality for God's kingdom work. I want you to hear this today. I am not saying that the answer to the pressure that your family feels is simply to get more involved in church. I am saying that the church is not an add-on to your life, like a gym membership or a club. Rather, the church is the first family because Jesus redefines our family ties. We do this in our baptismal covenant every time that we receive someone for baptism. These words at baptism are not empty words. This is not an empty ritual. No, our sacramental life together defines us. It redefines our relationships to God and one another. So when parents bring their children to be baptized, they are transferring ownership of the children to God. Like Hannah dedicating Samuel to the temple's work, parents are saying, this child is not my own. They are God's. And then this is what we, the church, say. The pastor says, now it is our joy to welcome our new sisters and brothers in Christ. And the church responds, through baptism, you are incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. We are all one in Christ Jesus. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you as members of the family of Christ. Do you believe that these words are true? Do you accept that the church is more than an add-on, but part and parcel of your life and to learn together to be brothers and sisters in God's family? May we come to see the church as first family 
And as we do, may it re-energize and give purpose to our earthly families. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.